life. Hey guys, it's Yolanda at Dryer Buzz, and of course with Angela Stalkup. She's gonna uh, we're gonna give you a little bit of backstory as we get into this, but this is Tuesday post Michelle Obama, and we had such amazing time, and we've been having such great conversations and really deep diving into where women are uh, in our becoming, in our being, and um. Just where we want to go from here. There's always the question where to go from here. And I pose that question to Angela. If we should continue to podcast and uh, knowing what we know about the alchemist, if you desire it, the universe is making an opportunity for it. So therefore, here we come to you again on a Tuesday about the four o'clock hour on Eastern Standard Time. And I will let uh, Angela introduce herself, but myself, 17 years blogging, podcasting, living in this in this virtual lifestyle. And, uh, and I've now got Angela riding along with me. So Angela, tell them a little bit about you. So I'm Angela Stalkup and I am a business and marketing strategist. But um, more than that, I'm, 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 I'm an expert in connecting and communicating, and particularly around these sort of passionate issues that people have. And so the core of where I spun off of is was female entrepreneurship, so women entrepreneurs, but really it's it's so much more than this. What are the what are the challenges that we face in trying to, as humans, really lead the life that we want to live, deal with the challenges and problems. So Yolanda crowned me the pivot queen, right? So <laughs> When, if you if you've known me in the past, you may have you may have known me when I was talking about launching, and I still believe everything is a launch. And I was talking about launching, which is how you start. Well, guess what comes after the launch is the pivot. And so, what do you do as you get to get growth, as you reach out to these challenges? Then, how do you adjust? How do you make changes? Some of these are going to have to. Some are for the good. Some will maybe feel like failures, but it's managing that change and managing that pivot. So that's what I've been involved with. I work with all kinds of clients. I will have corporate clients uh, and uh, work with individuals. So, you know, there's just, a, just a, a broad range of things. But this is where I love connecting with Yolanda is in this is in this sort of space of for people who have a dream or a desire to do something and mm-hmm. how do they do it, right? How do you get it done? Mm. And there, this can be a business, but this could be also some, uh, you know, a, pro- a, a project, a cause, Um even something that is a hobby, right? That is that you're really compelled to do. How do we facilitate each other to? And I, I'm sitting here surrounded by images of Oprah. I've got Oprah book, O, o magazine. I got a picture of Oprah on my wall. So I hate. To, I've been trying not to say how to live your best life. I'm going to steal that from Oprah. I think that's what we're really trying to say. How do you live your best life? <laughs> and you know what? It's funny you say that because that's. My, the podcast we did this morning, as you know, I do the podcast, uh, how to get out of bed, literally like how to get out of bed. And today the topic was, uh, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. And that's not to say that there aren't things, real fears. We, we understand that fears are real. Um, but this with, with leading women, we see it two ways. One, there are women leaders and then there is the topic of how to lead women. How do we get more women? Um, it, it's so, it, I don't want to say funny, but I the irony into everything that everybody knows a woman to be in their life, um, still, we still feel like there's some things that we need to overcome. And there were a couple of articles. One of the reasons we really want to continue this podcast is because even though there are stories and there's articles out there, there's one uh 
entity that I troll, and I think it's the New York Post, and they will only, and I've said this from time and time again, they'll only run a, a anytime you see a headline on their timeline, used to be in their paper above the scroll that involved a woman. She was either, Angela, she was uh, crying, dying, lying, or flying off the handle, or naked, right? Uh-huh. And I used to tell people, like, what's that line? You right. always said that. That's Show funny. me an article about a woman where she is neither of those things, that she is just absolutely brilliant, that she is sharing her brilliance, that she is serving her community. Show me those articles um, and try to stack that up. Uh, along with what's going on now, mind you, yeah, we should talk about women in, the, in that capacity. But is that what it takes for us to get to get in the headlines? Is that what it takes for us to become the story of the day? Um, I just got tired. That's one of the reasons that I blog a lot about women without their permission. Because if you seek their permission, they won't give it to you. Uh, in 17 years of of blogging <laughs> about women, I have never, very rarely, very rarely, except for uh, a few exceptions been able had a woman approach me with her story or i approach her with the story and we equally agree that it is one that should be told women for the most part angela don't believe they are buzzworthy you probably know this i know this to be true and it hurts me every time i hear it Mm -hmm. it hurts me and it makes me mad so that's i you know whatever that combination of uh, of emotion is but i am not at all surprised and like i say i'm sad for them and then i want to kick them so <laughs> and that's and that's what you did for us with uh, women who, with the women who lunch and so forth and and just having even coming to breakfast and getting us to pivot you know and one of the reasons I call Angela the pivot queen because on the other side of before she even tells us the pivot she has to listen to how many times we say we want to quit and then she suggests why don't you just pivot because I know there are several times even after spending all night I mean like late into the hour trying to just set up this appointment software. I'm like, why am I doing this again? Because life is so much easier not being ambitious. Life is so much easier not trying. But we, we when something is, is in us, we just have the um, need to nurture it and to birth it. And so, you know, and I go back to where we're going with this. I can already see where we're going with this when we talk about leading women she mentioned oprah we um w- one thing that ties us together is the fact of how you know we've done all this work and we ended up in the room with oprah um and just walked away with so much um and, and i don't i don't I, I'm still trying to figure out like how to look at this because it wasn't uh, for me. Neither of the times that I did get into that room was like full on intentional. It was just opportunity that comes, and so many times, you know, and you end up there. And I'm, I'm like, I, and all the opportunities that I have had, Angela, is I always want to be able to look to my left and my right. And too many times, as a woman, you can't necessarily do that, right? It, I think about Serena, some things that Serena uh, Williams has said. I think about, in, in all the stories, and getting back to people at their at, at their beginning and their in their pivotal moment of success, there's always a story about not having the support or not being able to bring those we want to bring along with us. And that comes into the question of, well, how do you lead women? How do you continuously motivate women each and every day? And so when you think of leading women, it, how first of all, how are you not scarred to death? Um, and willing, why? how is it that you're willing to do this again 
and that is leading women. <laughs> That's the question uh, of the you. day. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago to give uh, to do a to do a, a talk, write a little speech on success and leadership for college students, and it really made me go back and think about sort of my whole life experience around these topics, right? And I realized that I have been drawn to this idea of success and leadership My it's from my first memories, really. Mm. And I'm going to attribute it to being the oldest of five kids. Okay. By the time there were two younger than me, I was in charge. I was boss lady. I'm still boss lady in this family, right? Wow. So, so um, my mom always said that when I was a little girl, she would look at me and think I've, I've given birth to the bossiest child who's ever lived. Now, there was a time that was an insult. Now we're like, yeah, I'm a boss lady. What you talking about? I'm a bossy woman. Yes, because I'm a boss. So I think there's some of it that's that's inherent in me that I that I am always thinking about. How do we how do we lead? How do we how do we take a group of people and make them successful? Because the two things go together. There's a, you know, so there's an interest in leadership is I just want to be powerful, right? But that's really not leadership. That's dictatorship. Um, leadership is how do you function in a group of people and move them forward? That's, it's about, and it's, so it's a really about wanting the best for other people. And I think for me, that's why I keep coming back to it is I want, I see great things. I meet people and I can see their potential and I want people to reach whatever that potential is they want to reach. Wow. So you uh, see, you see the potential. Can you hear? I, I, can, we, we're still here. It's, I was yeah, trying to, I'm try, it's slow down because I was, okay, I was I, trying I, to share. I had a little, no, I just was, I was doing a little something funny, but yeah, I do. And it's just, it's one of those things that I realized it took me a long time to realize that not everybody has that, right. Mm-hmm. That they, that they meet people. I like people. I'm fascinated and interested in people. And I always say, I feel like I have these little special glasses that I can put on where I see Ooh. their best self. Right. Ooh. It's like, I can, I see it as if I can talk to a person long enough, I can intuitively sense what their thing is, what their gift is. And I, and that, that is just something, you know, I'm sure I've developed it 10,000 hours of doing whatever, mm-hmm. because when I go back to, you know, I can go back to pivotal moments when I was in third grade, right? I can go back to when I was in high school, things I started doing when I was 16 years old that involved groups and international travel. This has always been something that I've been interested in. And so I think because of that, and because I've been working with groups of people so long, mm-hmm. I really have. I can I can tell what people need to hear. Now, and wait, well, wait. So, now, when you see it, I like that you said that because that's that's a key factor in in leading women. And I and I I'm gonna piggyback off of that because the same thing when I talk about somebody is buzzworthy. And I can you can put me in a room with everybody who thinks they've got something going on, and but yet you can pinpoint who really has it going on, who's really buzzworthy. Uh-huh. Like you said, you see it. There's a lens. But I can almost picture you with these special glasses in this uh-huh. in this room. But oftentimes, especially when it comes to leading, we're going to talk particularly about leading women because uh, that's the name of the podcast. But do you also find that when you see it, um, not all the time does the other person know that they have it? Oh, very rarely. Mm. Very rarely. In fact, the person who walks in and thinks they're all that, usually I go, yeah, they're not. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've, that, yeah, 
uh, grain of salt, take that. But no, a lot of times, I mean, like, literally, I have had to pull it out of people. I've had to beat them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I used to call it my velvet boot, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, it's soft, it's smooth, but I will kick you into submission, into doing what you need to do, in the sense of, I'm going to make you grab that thing if you want to, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to compel somebody that doesn't want to. But many times, and, you know, there's something in the way that we are socialized as women, because they did a study that I like to go back to. And hopefully if they do this study now, it's different. But, you know, five years ago or so, there was a study and said that women feel like they have have to be doing something for 15 years Mm -hmm. before they will consider themselves an expert. Before they will call themselves an expert. Now, they did not do this for men in the same study. I would say men have to be doing a thing for 15 minutes before they have to con- before they consider themselves an expert, right? Right. So, so you end up with, like you say, the person who is buzzworthy, who has a, who has a story to tell, who has an experience, who is an expert in something, who will diminish their own expertise. By thinking, well, I've not been doing it long enough, or I don't have this kind of experience. So, like, oh, yes, I have small business experience, but I've never, I, you know, my business only makes a certain amount of money, so I'm not really an expert. Duh. Most businesses, small business, 70% of small business mm-hmm. never makes more than $50,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. So, 70% of business is small. That's, that's the small business term. So, we, we start to diminish ourselves. Or then you can meet, and again, this is... Not all men, not all women, right? But then you'll meet a man who's been doing it for five minutes, and then he wants to tell you what to do, and it's not necessarily correct because he doesn't have any experience. So there's a middle ground in there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, claim the expertise that you have, recognize the expertise, but a lot of times you're going to have to find someone, particularly if you've been socialized, uh, to put yourself down, right? Yes. Yes. Don't think too much of yourself. You may need someone to talk it out with, who can really help you figure out what that gift is that you have. And that doesn't, you know, it'd be me or Yolanda, it could be anybody, right? But somebody who is not going to try to tell you that you don't deserve what you're talking about or that you can't do it just because they think you shouldn't want things. Mm. And it's funny you say women 15 years, men 15 minutes, women some revenue, men no revenue. They, uh-huh. in, in fact, they will reinvent a term. They'll invent a term to, uh-huh. to, to explain or to even quantify the lack, right? Uh-huh. They know how to operate even in a sense of lack. Women are trying to figure out how to operate even in, in a sense of plenty, uh-huh. You know, still having to justify, and this is what this is what leading women. This, and when I say leading women, I want people to understand. I mean, I mean women leaders, but I also uh-huh. mean women who lead, and that's what we have. That's what we have to deal with when we talk about even just coming on doing the podcast. You know, if I'm, and, and and I can't tell you how many people I've given them the nudge. Hey, listen, you know, coming up once we work out the time and the title and all this, I want you to come on and talk. And then they go like, and they just put it on pause. Cause they, again, as you said, you know, don't see themselves as expert. And I'm like, okay, I've known you all of this time. It's like, you know, this, you know, this, but again, because of how we've been socialized to think that that is not of us, uh, on a particular topic, one topic in the 25, about 25 into the podcast, let me see, actually about 15, uh, into the podcast, we wanted to talk about the gig economy. Um, that's something that I have spent probably since about 2012. 
2012, 2014 particularly, uh, um, literally talking about the gig economy and how it was on its way, how it was basically taking old techniques, traditions, and applying technology to them, the ride-share economy. Uh, the, we were talking particularly about using the services we use as far as ordering our groceries, you know, and, and, and how much it, it we've having to convince people to use these things. That's the, the funny part about it is like, but there are those of us who can remember having all these services before. We just didn't do them in a sense of you don't know the other person. I love when people give the analogy of don't get in the car with strangers. And now everybody's jumping in and out of cars with, with strangers. <laughs> like, like I, I, I see people to this day and I'm like, why are you walking? I, if I see somebody walking, I'm like, why are they walking? And they have a phone in their hand. Don't you know you could just call a ride? You know, it, it, it has become the norm. Not only that, I worked in the gig economy. I did the whole freelancer. I've used every app. I, I'm even late coming to the podcast today because I'm now, I'm over there setting up a new app. I just came out of the ride share industry. I did it literally for three years while I was in caregiver mode with my mom. It was literally the only thing I needed to earn a living from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Where do you do that? You know, I needed to be able to stop. At a drop of a dime to go and take care of things at home. Where do you do that? You do that in the gig economy. Now, there have always been questions in this gig economy as to how um, how much of a benefit it was to the employee, employee or the person working. Can't necessarily call them an employee, but to the person working. And their, you know, labor unions and questions like that are starting to come back up. And they've always, they've always been in the midst of things. But at the same time, I know for me to be able to go uh, having to walk away from my job, having to walk away from my side hustle, if you will, um, having to deplete all of the avenues of which income came in. Um, it was just a saving grace. It was literally, I, there was nothing else. It was literally a saving grace to be able to go and participate in the gig economy. Um, from 2014 to 2016, I, I will say 2014 to 2016, I, I used freelancing. I, I did the all the online, the text, the graphics, you know, and I had client base and all that. But then, you know, I couldn't, maintain that because of where the healthcare situation my mom was going and so I needed to go somebody and lo and behold, a stranger suggested to me try the ride share and I'm like because uh, I was taking a ride he was like listen uh -huh. you should you should do it you I was just absolutely stressed out I was on my way to an event and I and I I was just feeling bad about having to go to this event and leave my mom and you know the things that I had to do at home and I'm like trying to go networking when trauma is like all over me and I'm like I don't have them I had to walk away from radio you know all of that and exist in this space and I'm thankful that it was there. The concerns that we have, because now, now people are like looking like, wait a minute, this thing is becoming heavily um, uh, driven by women as the, as the workers. And so there's a concern. And so an article was shared. I noticed Angela shared it, I shared it, it's everywhere. And it talked about, and I got a lot of traction on it on Twitter. Angela, uh, lots of shares from when I shared it on Twitter, uh -huh. but it talked about why suburban moms 
are delivering your groceries. And, and you know I'm live in the kitchen and, and that's something I do weekly. I, I am surprised when I go to the door for that delivery, I am surprised what's on the other side of that door. Now, mind you, I understand it because that was an opportunity that I had to take advantage of the gig in the gig economy, right? So I understand what's on the other side of that door, but it is a shocker to see who's actually making those deliveries. And you go ahead and give everybody uh, the backstory on the article and so forth, because I know you're also a customer and you've had a chance to speak with some of the people that work in the industry. Go ahead. Yes, I'm a power user of Instacart. Uh, Instacart, um, and Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime Delivery, and for Whole Foods. So, but particularly Instacart, I started using them the minute they launched. And, I, you know, your story of how the gig economy really helped you, Instacart, these sort of, these food and grocery and shopping services have really helped me in a similar circumstance as on the caregiving side, mm-hmm. where I only have a limited amount of time to be away, and mm-hmm. so having to spend time in the grocery store chasing down stuff, you know, not to have to do that is amazing to me. So I think that it's interesting, your perspective as having been the service provider, my perspective as a customer, right, Mm -hmm. shows that this is really meeting a need. And I think we're just in the midst of working out the kinks in it, right, that there's some issues that always have to be worked out. But when I saw this article of NPR did this on May 25th, why suburban moms are delivering your groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, having been, like I say, having been on the receiving end of these groceries, I know this for a fact, that it's mostly women. I think they said for, for um, Instacart and DoorDash, over 50% of their, uh, of, their dri- of their drivers, of their service people are, um, are, are women. Uh, Postmates said 48% were female, 38% had a child at home. So to your point about caregivers finding this to be a great opportunity uh, for uh, to, to earn an income when they have to work at weird hours, mm-hmm. like the woman in this in, in this um, in this um, article here in, on NPR was getting up real real early in the morning, right? She was trying to work very early in the morning. Um, it gives you that that flexibility, and but what's interesting is people not, don't necessarily understand as a customer how it works and so over the years because i i'm nosy and i talk to people <laughs> and i saw that you even posted this yolanda that that they would tell you drivers would tell you to go in and change the service charge right, right? well you know me when i first used it yeah. i tweeted about it and yeah. once i tweeted about it um i i just got inundated with um what people were experiencing because they, I think they were brand new at the time, and yep. you could opt the. There was a service fee that was optional. That as a user, you thought that was going to the person doing your shopping. Because apparently, it, it, they break they when they first started. You had a person that shopped, and you had a delivery. Um, yes. And then the you and, and even I applied for it. I never got a chance to do it because when I applied for it. It wasn't available in my neighborhood. You go on, you log on, and it'll let you know where uh-huh. the work was. And it was always outside of the area. And I was literally trying to, you know, because where I was in caregiving, I was trying to drive in my area. Right. And uh, you could decide whether or not you wanted to be just a shopper or just a driver or do both. And uh-huh. when you are using the system, you think that all of the fees 
are going to, well, you understand there's, you know, the app's going to make their money, but they were saying to make sure, uh, I think at that time they were saying not to even tip on the app, um, but to tip the person. And then, you know, just everybody, it was just all kind of things that I think the fee was actually optional at that time. So, So, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, like I say, I used Instacart the minute it launched. And at that point, you just put a tip in, right? Mm-hmm. You, you tip and that went to the that went to the driver and the shop. Then they started adding this thing called a service fee that is 5%, which looks like a tip, mm-hmm. right? However, none of that service fee goes to the shopper or the driver. That goes to the company. Right. So when you look at Instacart, again, I, I, I want them to stay in business. I was worried that they would go out of business, right? Mm-hmm. But they, were in, they give outstandingly good service. But, you know, prices are higher through Instacart. That's how they're getting, you know, some of their money, right? Mm-hmm. They're charging you per item, right? Then if you were a premium member, right? You right. You did the annual or you did a per delivery fee, that's, they're getting paid. So, and then the driver and the shopper were supposed to get a tip. So they added this service charge, but it was optional. But if you didn't really read the fine print, you wouldn't see that. Right. right? And so, so, you know, again, the shoppers, I, the drivers rather were very, I appreciated that they told me this. I, I was clicking around and said, well, what is this? And they're like, you can zero that out and give us a tip. Right mm-hmm. now, I, I never tipped cash and never have cash, but you know, that would be another way. But when you look at this article, you can see that this woman is talking about driving for Instacart. And some days she just makes she drove all day, she made $50 because she didn't get any tips. Right? Mm-hmm. Some days, one day she made 200 and some dollars because she was getting bigger tips. Right? right? So, that so understanding, I think, I think part of this is that both sides, the service provider and the customer need to understand how it works, right? Right. And, and figure out because Instacart is expensive, right? If I could leave my house more frequently and could just go to the store, it would be cheaper for me, right? Well, you know, so, the difference for me is it's cheaper for me than if I go to the store because I don't have the discipline in the store as I do on the app. I, and you know. I will say, I, Instacart needs to promote the Instacart diet because it will stop you from right. impulse buying. Not that you can't, right? But right. once you've used it a couple of times, your regular your regular items come up, right? Exactly. So, so then that keeps you from saying, oh, look, those cookies are on sale. I think I'll get them, right? So it really, I think you're correct. I think in the long term, because it forces you to shop from a list, mm-hmm. it saves you money. But, you know, I understand the thought process from a customer to say, I'm not going to give more money. I'm already, I'm already paying more and so forth. Right. And then back to this Instacart structure which I think is common with a lot of these, is a per-item delivery. So the person gets paid per item that they deliver. They get a certain amount, I assume, hourly. They get a per-item. They get, you know, so they're getting a per-item. So they're getting a, a cut of the money of the delivery. They get a per-item charge of something like $0.08 cents or $0.10. Cents. It's not a, it's, it's cents, not mm-hmm. dollars, mm-hmm. right? But if it's the same type of thing, it is... One considered one item. So I used to get cases of water from Costco, and I would get, you know, four, maybe four or six big cases of water. And I have a couple of little steps up in the front, and I would always say to the person, I'm so sorry you're having to carry that up. I'd even go down and help them carry it, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is where I learned if I order six cases, if I order 60 cases of water, that's one order. They get paid one. Eight cent, ten cent, whatever that was. That used to be. I don't know if it's the same. Somebody who drives an Instacart can correct me on that. Mm-hmm. But that was so. A lot of times, these drivers, you know, I'm saying, "Oh, great! I'm just gonna. I got a party. I'm gonna get all this water." 
I'm thinking that that driver is getting paid more for bringing me 60 cases of water than it, one case and of water. The, the average consumer, the average consumer is not not doing that deep dive because I didn't even think about it until you said it. Um, but the average consumer is not even thinking about that. The average consumer is like, they just want the convenience. Yeah. And that's, and, and so, that's where we are. And one of the reasons we want to talk about this, because on the other side of that convenience is what these women are having to deal with, what these workers are having to deal with. And, and the, and the challenge here is that we know this to be true. Anytime an industry becomes predominantly female, the, the general base pay drops and there's a lot of sociological economic research on why this is right Mm -hmm. but when you get a tipping point and part of it is that you know women don't ask for the same amount of money there's also their women are often not paid the same just simply because they feel the person the people paying feel like they can get away and 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 the third side of that is that women are doing it for a different reason and exactly. while we want to be looked at in the same as we are providers too, for the most part, women are doing it for a different reason. I was in it because of caregiving. You use the service because of caregiving. When they just recently had the ride share strike um, when, uh-huh. that Wednesday, um, the men, and this was literally led, you know, the, the fever of it was, it was at a fever pitch because men aren't able to sustain their families it wasn't yeah. it wasn't driven you know the men had a different entirely different sense of urgency uh, they could break down the numbers they were talking about how much the company was making and even in the ride share women are often said to be doing any and all of this simply because of the flexibility because there's uh-huh. something else that we love that we want to do we're not really as women as we're not looked at as head of household we're not looked at for the contribution we make uh-huh. to the house. Even in this time when women are bringing half if not more to the table into uh-huh. the household, we're still looked at as there's something else that she could be doing. And that's and, and that was a little bit of my hang up with this article, right? Was that, you know, that suburban moms are doing this and they say, well, what is the implication? That there's a suburban dad, right? That there's a suburban husband who's also earning money, right? Or there's some other source of income. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and I'm like, but there, it's not necessarily why suburban moms are driving is for some pocket change, right? But right. it's called pin money. I never understood what well, pin money Well, because they glassed over the part where it said that her husband, she started it because there was a time her husband was out of work. Yes. So God, they just so they often, just glanced over that part. So often that's what happens, and I, and so let's you know backtracking to kind of the last ten years of female entrepreneurship. So many women were starting businesses even prior to two thousand eight, but mm-hmm. particularly after the crash, because they needed flexibility in their employment. Mm-hmm. And so, and particularly in a time before now where we have telecommuting, and you know you can. You can do, uh, you know, project-based work, or you could, you know, you can you can work from home for part of the week. You can, you know, whatever. Have we been way. have we been sold this thing of of flexibility? Because it it seems to each and every time take us out of the conversation of, of providing. Yeah. Because even in the article about the women in Instacart. It was, uh, oh, her husband is just out of work for a time period. You know, she's going to earn a little bit of pocket change to be able to still take care of the kids. It still can't, it never got to the point where she was now the provider. 
It never, exactly. we never, exactly. nobody ever expected the fact that she was driving, not just the one, not that she was utilizing just the one app. She was, the women in the article were using several of the apps and that they were, it was still put to the world as they'll be okay as soon as the men get back. And I mean, yeah. we just, we yeah. just went through that with the recession. Okay. And, and, and what was it? Um, tell in the fall of telecommunication, you know, all of those different things where the, it was considered to be a time with the end of men, end of men was a thing because larger industries were folding and larger industries dominated these industries that were dominated by men. But yet at the same time, women, I'm just trying to get to the point where we start to see women as equal providers. Well, and, and this is, and, and in part, like you say, are we being sold on this flexibility? And it's because so much of the caregiving, this is all about caregiving, right? Yeah, it is. And so much of the caregiving falls to On the women. woman. And so if we had better support and better systems for the care of everything from infants to old people and to the sick, right? So there's one... There's one challenge, and then the other challenge I see with women, and particularly women, you know, as you get, as women get, you know, even into their 30s, so many women are suffering from what they call non-communicable diseases, NCDs, that are oftentimes related to autoimmune disorders. Mm -hmm. Why? You know, there's a whole lot of science and, and, and research behind behind that. That's my that should be my other podcast because I I have an autoimmune condition and I've been sick since I was 16 years old. And so it's basically the baseline problem with anything like that is you have low energy and fatigue is a problem. And yet these are not the kinds of illnesses that are treated. We know there are studies that pain in women is right. often is not treated. It's treated as a, as a psychological problem, right? And then let's start, let's start narrowing that down. Pain in black women is completely ignored, right? Mm -hmm. Who gets, I think we talked about this last, last time or time before. Who gets the opioids, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, so you you end up with this thing that women have have pain, oftentimes from the time they they you know become of childbearing, you know, from their first period till through menopause, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So a good chunk of their productive life as employees, as or as workers, as earning money, they're dealing. We are dealing with regular physical peer episodes of pain that are just considered normal that's not to say that you have something on top of that right so then if you have any of these conditions and that that cause um fatigue low energy right then throw on top of that you're supposed to be then taking care of the other people in your in your space who's cooking your healthy food right who's exactly. making sure you get your proper sleep right who's then it, it makes it so that we get physically to where we can't maintain a stressful, you know, the stress of, uh, uh, of a nine to five corporate, it's really what, eight, eight to seven corporate gig, right? right? Six days a week. So I would suggest that there is something wrong with our system because it shouldn't be that 50% of the workforce has to check out based on their gender because women have, you know, they're, talented and successful women that given the right support system the nature of work it's not good for men the men who get in there and do it die right they just die early women feel tired and sick like they're gonna die mm -hmm. they just drop over dead 
right? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, this system is, is broken. And this is why people have been exploring entrepreneurship, right? The problem is then you get into this hustle mentality where, you have to, where you're just going all the time. And basically, you're back to, you know, you should just work, you know, go go work a regular job. At least you have health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's I, I, there is so much wrong with this. And so with the system, and this is where as women, I think we talk about women leaders, we tend to go grassroots, right? We get in, we, we come, we come from the, from the issue and come up, right? It was, I think about Lucy McBath, who is a, you know, is one of our um, representatives from Georgia and her son was killed in, in Florida, know, was, storm, mm-hmm. was shot, it was, it was a driver pulled up beside of him and shot him because of the radio loud mm-hmm. yeah and drove away right so she became interested in gun in and and gun rights and activism um you know gun control and now she's in now she's a representative she didn't start out saying i'm going to go into politics she came from the personal pain and came up this is often how women start businesses from our personal pain or passion and often it's a pain right that we build up so right, we've we've been socialized again there to think that it should be passion rather than saying out loud to the world, "I'm doing this because of my pain." Because I need money, and mm-hmm. I need you know I need the things that are necessary to provide, and that is where God, oh my gosh, I could I could go on a rant about I believe very much that you should and passion based work, and I think it's great, but that is not the only way. If, if you, some people have passions. If your passion is, you know, yoga, folk dancing, you know, while, uh, you know, painting, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a big market for that. There's nothing wrong with it. You need to build a life that will support you doing that, but you're probably not going to make money doing it. So to suggest that just because you have a passion for something that you can turn it into make a way to make money is a mistake. And again, it tricks us. Telling women to do things that they're passionate about keeps us grinding down in the be- in the basement of being paid, right? Oh, because I because it, because it's like, but I but I'm doing it because I love it. I'm doing it because I love it. Instead of saying, I need to figure out how do I get paid in such a way to support this other thing. There Maybe was there was a- such a dec- dec- declaration there when you just said, I need money. <laughs> I mean that was an absolute declaration. It came through so clear when well, you when that, you said, as I, I and you know what I reached over. I have my uh, energetic formula money spray. I just spray myself with money spray. I'm like, yeah, we do. We we you know we need we need means of support, and we need to be able to support ourselves mm-hmm. and whoever we are. Right, and this includes people with disabilities. This, you know, old people, whatever. Right, we all need that. And I, and it's funny that you would pick up on that because I did sort of that came out unfiltered. It did. And, it did. And and part of it is because, and we can tell, I'll give you the the background of this is to say I want to help people. I I love helping people. I am terminally helpful. I am like, you know aggressively helpful i see a person they look like they need help do you need help do i who am i to walk up to them but i'm like do you need some help that's going to be me right Mm -hmm. the problem is is that when you are naturally helpful people will use up your time right 
And so it's saying, okay, that was really a declaration to myself and to the universe, but to myself to say, yeah, I have passions for helping people, but I have to be careful. And, cause, and, and not, every, not everything that I want to do to help people do I even want to be paid for, right? It's, it's, we don't have to be paid for every single thing. Right? But you, but you want to be, you want to be sustained, and we have, but we, we have, have to, to be sustain things, right? And we do have to make decisions around what that looks like, and to say, okay, is there a way that I can take this thing that is mutually beneficial and figure out a system in which we all benefit through the exchange of money for services? That's what business is. It's supposed to work for both sides, right? And this is back to this idea of the gig economy in the perfect world, right? There's the people who start the company, the people who are doing the work, and the customers would all benefit mm-hmm. and be sustained in a very positive way, right? So that it would keep feeding itself and funneling itself and funneling itself. So part of the problem with any sort of institution is once we started calling people resources, human resources, right? Mm-hmm. A human resource versus a capital resource, Right. right? Right. Is a, a body versus the computer they work on. These are both resources of a company. Are we treating the bodies the same as the, as the computers or the machine, right, in the factory? And so this is where then we all work together, the consumer, the service provider, the, the employee, and then the company to make sure that everybody is properly taken care of to the extent, and I'm going to throw this in here, like when do I have time to go and, and shake my fist at Instacart? I don't, right? Mm-hmm. But I really like Instacart. A lot of people who drive for Instacart, I say to them, do you like what you do? I mean, like, really, I'm like, are, am I, you know, are you cool, right? Do you like this? They do. They just want things a little different. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do what I can with Instacart, right? Which is I make sure my, my drivers and shoppers get their tips. I make sure and rate them. Their rating system is very important, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I ask them. You know, what helps them? If I've got something that's a big order that's heavy, I'm going to always tip extra, right? So I try to think in those terms, you know, within my budget, not to say that I just, that I don't, I mean, I have a budget. Sometimes I'm like, well, this week, this is how it's going to be, right? Right. Um, but always they say to me, please keep using the service, right? If they didn't, you know, please keep using the service. Well, because because on the, on the other side of that, it's almost, you know, you have to, you have to still look at it as, as you're empowering your community. You are hiring, you are hiring people. Yeah. There's yes. this, there's this middleman, this larger entity in, you know, in between the two of you. But if not for that, if not for that application, and this is one of the things that I had to kind of like get over when I, when I needed to turn to ride share, if not for the app. When I think yeah. about the fact that I was able to, in all the years that I have been working and wanted to work in my neighborhood, here came the opportunity to do that. So there was there was a, a means to it. Now, I hope that the app did not discriminate on me as a woman yeah. and, uh-huh. and go in and, and tweak the rise or give me this, that, or that type of ride. You know, and one of the things is there are groups out there that you can kind of monitor this. Uh, when they did the strike, there was a, uh, there was one person, and I, I kept asking around, did anybody else experience this? Um, one person came on and she said she showed a receipt on her with her app 
um, had charged the, now, when you signed up, when I know when we initially signed up, it says, oh, okay, they're only going to take, you know, 25%, that's for the platform fee, but then, okay, then cities and states started charging this, that, and the other, and it's like, okay, that's between them and the app and so forth, but there was one um, thing that just did not make sense to me, this one ride, she showed a receipt for the ride that they had charged the rider, even and and mind you, all of this stuff is disclosed out there. I even asked uh -huh. the other drivers, I'm like, do you take time and audit? And if there's something strange, I think once I had to um, call in and say, hey, listen, recalibrate this. This is that ride. This doesn't look right. But there was one where the ride, the rider had paid like three hundred and some dollars, and uh -huh. the app, the system had taken two hundred and paid the driver seventy five. And I was like, well, that's not how this thing's supposed to go right. at all. They're supposed to take 25%, which means you're supposed to be getting 75%. But then, okay, that changed when, like, say, for instance, when they started um, legally doing, or not even legally, because there's no such thing as legal and illegal, but when they came up with, when they negotiated uh, a, putting a system in place for airport runs, airport pickups, airport um, uh -huh. rides, and, and different things like that. And now cities are like, you know, well, we have to have a fee and you got to pay this, you know, because we are killing the taxi industry and we do get a some substantial revenue, you know, from the taxi industry. So we understand they had to give in to some things like that. But what you cannot do is you cannot take people below a living wage. Yes. And and those things are in place, even though you, you're trying to say as a contractor, this, that, and the other. And there were days, you know, you'd be out there. And, and then, too, here's another onus on the person using the system. If you are using the system, you you have to say, like, I had a thing where, where hey, listen, if it got so slow that I, I was making, you know, less than 20 an hour, turn it off. Come out of there, you know. Um, it's It's a bad time. Right, because I knew at on the side of that, I also had expenses. You had your gas, you had your maintenance thing, all of those things. But what would happen is, and I, one thing I started, I'm noticing now is I'm seeing some things kind of invading the system um, that's bringing on a, a debt system to this. So that's what I want to. I want to make sure people make sure people look out for that because they realize uh, what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing some offers, and we have to kind of, especially for women, quell the fears. Um, so there are systems out there now that are popping up, and hopefully lawmakers will very quickly go after this that are offering people advances of a different type and so forth. Uh -huh. You know, because um, I, and this kind of got hushed along the way, but it's when the apps, when the rideshare app started offering vehicles, Uber first. Yes. Uh, when Uber came out with their first tier of offering their ride, their drivers' vehicles. It was, a, it was a horrible system. A lot of them ended up with a lot of debt. And that's why you ended up with people driving for both systems, both Uber and Lyft or, or whatever, depending on your area. That's why you ended up seeing people riding for multiple services because if they owe, if it came time to owe money over here, then, you know, or they got into this revolving debt situation, they'd have to go, now you got to, whatever you work on that one is paying off that debt, which means you're not earning anything. So they ended up having to add on a different platform and so forth. And, uh, and, and I was like, okay, I know not to get caught up in that. I'm going to use my own vehicle. I'm only going to do a limited amount of time. 
Um, I'm not going to be, you know, you have people out there were driving really hard. Remember that, remember the story started popping up about people sleeping in their cars, uh-huh. uh, when they created the airport parking, uh, there were people literally like living there because, you know, when you think about it, you just filled your car up with gas. Okay. Well, now the system is slow. It's not going to pick back up for a couple of hours or overnight. And, and you started to see things that, um, were reminiscent of, What's the word? Poverty? <laughs> yes. You know, and that's what we don't, this this should not put us into that. Because in other countries, because keep in mind, while these things are now growing in the United States, they've been in other countries. Other countries have lifted their poor out of poverty with these same uh, ideas and platforms. You know, freelancing, most of the freelancing that people are doing uh, are buying online. Most of the services that people are buying online are done outside of the country, right? Because they've been there so far as using technology. We're just now getting to that point of trusting technology here. What we want to do is to make sure that women come out at least on top of this, if nothing else. This cannot be another thing that takes advantage of women because it is it is still an awesome opportunity. What Angela and I want to do with this podcast, we're going to definitely keep an eye on this. We talk about leading women. We're going to definitely keep an eye on this. And for those of you that are out there that are advocates, that are writers, lawmakers, that you're looking at this, um, please reach out to us. We want to bring your voice into this as well. Angela, I know uh, we're, we're running right about at the end of time, but yep. you had some more to say. Go ahead. No, and I just I was want to reiterate and underline what you just said there, is that if you are engaging in the gig, gig economy as a, as a gigger, right, mm-hmm. Uh uh, make sure that you approach it just like Yolanda said. It, you are supposed to, this is meant to be, the the app is the technology that's going to connect you to, like any other kind of freelancer, right? Uh, and that you should be thinking of it as though you are running a job, as though you have a job. I've been mm-hmm. in, I've been on both sides of franchising. I've, I've owned a franchise and I've worked for, for the other side, for the franchisor, right? And so, you know, franchisors are required to give you honest breakdown of how much money you can make but guess what someone trying to sell you a franchise is always going to tell you what the maximum is right right so the same thing with this whatever you're this is any business and this is what it comes back to understand the finances of it and it goes back around to this thing about passion and even flexibility it's flexible yes but is it going to make is it going to make you enough money how are you going to make your money Right. Mm-hmm. What is the cost involved? This is the basic question of every business. So whatever you're doing, these are this. This is not a you know, these are all things. If you pull it up, it's the same questions. Right. Understand how it works, how you're getting paid, and then as you say, on all levels, we have to continue to be involved in advocacy as much as we can. So yes. I'm with you. Anybody who's in, who's engaging in this conversation, reach out to us because uh, you know this is I. You know, this is what I, it, this know, is what it I'm takes, interested, you know? Yeah. This is what it takes when it comes to leading women. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to apologize for it, but we are at a point where, you know, no matter what the topics are, I mean, we have to have a discussion how it really, re- how it relates to women. Because even in the article, mm-hmm. when they were talking about the gig economy, even though they talked about suburban moms, these were people in, in 
two income households. Um, they were experiencing, they were, there were so many different experiences into it. And while they talked about, you know, all the different reasons women are doing this, but at the end of the day, it's like Angela said, I need some money. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> no matter how much passion we have, no matter how much with the things we love, you know, we still, we still got to earn because we still are just as much providers, uh, as, as the men are. I was about to say as anybody else, uh, but on the other side of this conversation, is women and men. We're just trying to have discussions about what it takes in leading women not to get caught up on the semantics because we're all we're really saying the same thing, but it's not coming out equal. The formula, the scale, when it comes to women, that scale is not tipping our way. And we just want to make sure that we kind of try and get on here and balance these things out. If we helped you today, if you said in any part of this discussion, like, wow, I haven't thought about it that way, then please make sure you continue to listen so that we can help you think about it this way. Think about women in these terms. And if you are leading women, uh, is there anybody you want to mention this week that is out there as a woman leader and really leading women? Anybody on the forefront we want to kind of shout out before we go? Um, honestly, who am I paying attention to this week? I'm actually looking at... Um at, a, at a, a writer, actress, she's from England. Her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I believe mm-hmm. is her name. And she did um, she did Killing Eve. She was the one who originated the, the show Killing Eve. She has a program, she did an Amazon thing called Fleabag, which I resisted watching because I hate that name. And I'm not particularly that worried about the problems of pretty young white girls. But anyway, <laughs> she's, uh, she's in her 30s. But... Um, I think it's very interesting her her story of how she and another partner started their own sort of theatrical enterprise and they started by doing their own plays and then the play got picked up into the television and then she started doing other TV. It's an interesting it's an interesting model of sort of self-organizing in an industry that can be very difficult for women to break into. So, you know, I would say just google her and take a look at Phoebe Waller-Bridge and uh, and just to see how what she's been doing and how she she built a community and started working from there rather than going through sort of this traditional um, industry route of trying to uh, be involved in uh, you know in in the end in the entertainment industry. Interesting. Okay, we have to check her out. We have to check her out. All right, guys. So um, that's going to conclude our podcast. But before we go, I do want to let you guys know we were trying something a little bit different. We were live over on Periscope, and I did send this out to a couple other platforms. weren't able to actually engage on those platforms. So when we get off of here, we're going to go and look and see if you have comments. Uh, don't feel like we were ignoring you. Just to, to try something different with the production, I had to keep my eye on. Uh, how this was going so we weren't able to shout out our top commenters but we would definitely get that going when we finish this we always take the audio of it and send it out on the podcast platforms um i've got angela considering whether or not to start a group i'm gonna have to put that on her because i cannot manage another no, thing I, you can, I, girl if you try to do one more thing i'd be like yeah but no i'll be on me and okay. so we uh, we'll, we'll try to get something going pretty quick because okay, I think that's good. a good idea. Good, good, good. Yeah. All right, all right, Angela. I'm going to uh, wish you guys a great afternoon. I hope everybody did well through the holiday and this short week as we get. But let's continue what we do, and that is leading women. I'm Yolanda, and she is Angela at Angela Stalkup 
on Twitter. I'm at DryerBuzz on Twitter. And we'll talk to you guys next Tuesday, Angela. Sounds good. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day. Go now to DryerBuzz.com and follow at DryerBuzz on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's all about the buzz.